Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi everyone, I'm Sam Karp. I'm a contributor to the Eagles Beak. I'm a Palace fan. You can find me on Twitter at Sam double underscore Karp. Hello everybody, my name is Thomas Boff, I'm the editor of wolvesblog.com, which unsurprisingly is a fan site dedicated to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at wolvesblog. Awesome, thanks so much for joining me today guys. I figured to start off the show we'd kind of start chronologically. Of course there was a Friday match this week uh, in which Sheffield United saw off West Ham with a little bit of help from VAR, but as always we aren't going to get into VAR on this show. Um, but that win now puts them sixth. Obviously we're past the halfway point of the season. Um, where do you think they'll finish come the end of the year and do you think that future promoted clubs will try to replicate what Wilder and they have done? Uh, yeah, I mean Usually, usually I think you'd say a team that is that's sixth after after twenty two games is is you know definitely going to finish in the top half. But given that it's so tight this year, there's there's a, there's a still a reasonable chance that they could yet finish outside of that. You've you know you've still got Spurs, Arsenal, even even Everton and Wolves below them, whose whose squad depth could kind of carry them above Sheffield United over over the remainder of the season. I mean, it's not it's, it's not particularly unusual for a promoted team to start. Well, maybe maybe not this well, but then you know fade a little once they've achieved that target of staying up, which um, Sheffield United aren't too far away from doing now. Yeah, just eight points. Um, but I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, I guess yeah, if you're if you're still sticking to that forty point mark, but um, yeah, I mean, irrespective, you know, of of where they finish, I think they'll they'll re- they'll rightly receive a lot of praise, and and Chris Wilder will will probably be in the conversations about manager of the year. Um, I mean, whether future promoted clubs will try and replicate what they've done. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure many actually will be able to replicate what they've done, given given the uh, given the way that Wilder has created such a unique style of playing with with the overlapping overlapping centre backs. I think even Marco Bielsa last season said he just couldn't figure out a way of playing against it. Um, so I think what they've I think what they've really been able to master is this kind of this combination of being dangerous going forward. You know, they they score plenty of goals, um, but also having that kind of sound defensive foundation, which which so many promoted teams struggle struggle to kind of master. Um, they've they've only conceded 21 goals this season, which is the same as Leicester, and it's only Liverpool who have let in less. So, so you know, it's a well and good kind of trying to look at them and and replicate what they've done. But I don't think it's as easy as that. You look at you look at teams like Norwich and and Villa who have come up this season as well. They both they've both played some nice football at times and are capable of doing so, but. Um, as we saw today with Villa, they leaked too many goals in Norwich yesterday at United. So I think that's always the challenge for the teams that are coming up, and that's what Sheffield United have mastered. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 
I've been impressed with Sheffield United. Uh, I was impressed with them when they came down and played Wolves uh, not that long ago. Very uh, physically imposing team. They play with an incredible intensity, which doesn't let up. You know, um, I think their legs did go saying that against Wolves in the last 10, 15 minutes. Um, but they, they come from all angles. They attack in numbers. It's it's very difficult to to kind of, like, say, replicate what they do because what they do isn't isn't easy, you know, to get 11 guys pulling together, all committed to a very specific style of play, also well-drilled. Um, it's not easy. So um, I don't think it's necessarily a, a template, but I think what championship sides can take heart from is that you can stick to a style of play. I think too often teams have come up, you know, playing attacking football in the championship and then being much more cautious in the Premier League because they're worried about keeping the back door shut. Um, but I think you can be more adventurous. Um, you just have to, you know, hit the consistency, hit the heights more often in the Premier League to make sure you don't get found out. And looking at the teams who, who might come up, you know, like Leeds, you know, Beisler's got a very specific way of playing and I, I don't see him massively changing that with Leeds. Um, they like to have a lot of the ball. So, you know, in teams like Brentford and, and dare I even say West Brom, you know, they, they, they'll have a way of playing and, you know, I think they can take heart from it. I, I think it's hard, harder than it's ever been in the Premier League for a newly promoted team because I think even though I think some of the elite clubs have um, have dropped down, you know, your Chelsea, Arsenal's, Man United, Spurs, they, the levels of those clubs has has diminished, particularly this season. They found it harder against the, the group of clubs immediately below them. Um, but I think that group immediately below, you know, from, you know, 7th to 15th, 16th, they're always very well-run, good clubs, doing a lot of the right things. So it, it's tough for um, newly promoted teams. But, um, but yeah, Sheffield United, very good, going back to your original point. Where do I think they'll finish? Uh, would it like to say? Um, so difficult to predict the Premier League. If I was guessing, I'd say ninth. So there's a there's a specific answer for you. <laughs> gotcha. Lynn's in the top 10. I think that's a fantastic point about championship clubs trying to change their play style as soon as they're in the Premier League. All of a sudden, you're facing more difficult opposition and you're trying to do something new as opposed to something you've just spent a whole season plus doing. Um, so, yeah, very encouraging, as you say, for the teams coming up. But again, as both of you say, it would be very difficult to replicate what they do both tactically and in terms of uh, their, their squad and personnel and the way that the team has been built. All right, next up, I want to talk about something a little personal. Um, after the match uh, at the weekend against Liverpool, Christian Eriksen did his own little miniature lap of honor, waving to the fans and everything, which was not received entirely warmly, um, given that his performances have been pretty poor. His effort has been called into question. Um, but I was wondering, uh, from your guys' perspective, uh, what do you make of his time in England on the whole? And do you see his recent decline and struggles over the last year or so uh, as evidence of the theory that the traditional number 10, in air quotes, is dying? Um, well, I, I actually hadn't realized that he'd done that little lap of honor at the end, uh, or lap of dishonor by the sounds of it, by the way you described it. But um, yeah, I mean, Saturday was kind of, I thought it was actually quite a sad way for Ericsson to bow out, to be honest, if that if that was to be his last game in the Premier League. Um, I mean, playing in a system that was probably the complete opposite to that, which is which has seen him thrive at Spurs over the past sort of five years or so. Um, 
but yeah I think you know irrespective of how his performances have declined over the past year he's he's obviously been one of Spurs best players and and one of the best players to watch in the Premier League more generally since he arrived in I think it was 2013 um I mean the joke is obviously that he probably won't have any trophies to show for that but he has really been at the heart of a side that's probably provided Spurs fans with with one of their most memorable periods um whether his recent decline as you know I think well I Having said that, I think you know, I think his kind of decline is sort of symptomatic of of Spurs is more generally. Um, I mean, there are plenty of reasons for his drop off in form, his contract running down, uh, the team generally being on a bit of a come down after the Champions League final. Um, you know, whether it is a sign that the traditional number ten position is dying, I'm not that sure. I just think it kind of shows that players like that in that ten role do have to be at the very top of their game to be effective because. Otherwise, otherwise they kind of become a luxury that a team can't afford, which is probably why I know you've seen him drop out of the team so often over the past year and maybe why you see it with those or Arsenal. Um, again, though, I think that that traditional number 10 position, it, has, it is sort of starting to evolve as well. You know, you associate a number 10 with someone who's the playmaker, everything goes through them. You look at maybe Kevin De Bruyne at City, who's not necessarily a number 10 in that sort of traditional sense, but he's kind of taken that role and... And, and changed it to an extent. He is still very much the heart, as you saw today with his pass to um, Hezus for that. I think Just the fourth absurd. goal. Um, unbelievable, yeah. But I mean, now he's still kind of occupying that position, but also occupying so many different places on the pitch. So I think just the way that football more generally, as we're, as we're talking about with Sheffield United, though, it's so much more intense. And um, the way that these players are so fit now, I think just that, that traditional number 10 position, it's less... Um, teams are less likely to have someone just occupy that one pocket of the pitch. Um, if you want to play in that number 10 role, you have to do so much more. Yeah, I mean, everything Sam said. Um, Ericsson, been a wonderful player for Tottenham for a long time. Um, but unfortunately, with football fans, you're generally viewed on how it ends, not the journey and not how it started. So, you know, Tottenham are in a bit of a difficult moment certainly compared to how they've performed in recent years. And Ericsson's uh, decline in form has been perhaps one of the factors that's been noted for the, the reason for that. So you can understand it. And he's just one of those players, whether it's his fault or not, that's just been perpetually linked with a move away for what seems forever. I can't remember the last time I, you know, logged on to you know, BBC Sport or whatever and didn't see him linked with Man United or Inter Milan or wherever else he's, he's going. So it's... Um, you know, and, and I do believe, although the papers write what they want a lot of the time, there's no smoke without fire. And I think he's probably been agitating for a move for quite some time and it hasn't happened. And when you get that combination of a player who obviously wants to leave and then their performance levels aren't what they should be for your club, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a, a hostile atmosphere. So I can understand that a lot of frustration from the Tottenham fans. Um but yeah, you know, a class player. You saw in that the free kick he put in against Norwich a few weeks ago. He's still wonderful. Still got the ability. On the idea of a uh, of a number ten, I suppose that's difficult because I suppose what is a number ten? You know, I just watched Man City dismantle Aston Villa. No playing with about five number tens. You know, all in that <laughs> all in that space, ping ponging the ball around. You know, it was just unreal. You know, they've done it for two games. In fact, they did in the League Cup against um, Man United and. So I don't think that profile of play, the kind of play you think of when you think of a number 10 is, is you know, not there anymore. 
I mean, you know, Ericsson could could play in that Man City team and, and be very comfortable, I'm sure, just laying the ball off, moving. And he's got the players around him and the system that suits him. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you can't stand still in football, though. You know, just because you've been a great player for three or four years doesn't mean you're going to be a great player now if you if you don't maintain the levels. And that's it's that consistency that's the that's so often the difference between very good players and truly world class. You know high-caliber, top-tier players. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I think he's... Uh, obviously, that lap would be interesting to see where he does end up actually going. Inter Milan seems to be the preferred destination for everyone. But, uh, yeah, interesting times. Yeah, it does indeed seem like Inter Milan will be the landing place. The question is when. Is it actually going to be immediately, which obviously his his behavior certainly seemed to inform, or will it be in the summer when he could move there on a free? Um as a Tottenham supporter, uh, obviously was very fortunate to to see him so frequently and at his best. Uh, yeah, the the ending, as you say, not not particularly great. But for years, it seemed like he was involved in like every goal we scored, every meaningful attacking move. He was at the heart of either setting up the goal, scoring the goal, getting the hockey assist TM, um, and it it just always was important moments that he seemed to pop up he scored late goals time and time again last year hilariously against Inter which ended up being crucial in us moving on in the Champions League which got us all the way to the final as you mentioned Sam Um, but I have said for a very long time on this show that I always felt that Erickson performed at his best when the team was performing at their best now that's not crazy obviously you play better when those around you are playing better but I never felt like he drove the team the way that other players have at other clubs or other players have it at our club. Um, and I always felt that was holding him back and, and was what was going to prevent him from getting the move he felt he deserved. Obviously in the summer, as you say, Thomas, there was lots of paper talk and smoke and fire and all that about him really desperately wanting to move to Real Madrid. When he came to Tottenham from Ajax, everybody was stunned that he had chosen Tottenham over the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona, both of which had been heavily interested Um, And he just basically said that he wasn't ready yet. He always imagined he'd wind up in Spain one day. You fast forward to the summer, you know, he's been top five in chances created and or assists for like five of the last six years. Clearly thought he was at his best, clearly thought he was ready for that move. As you guys mentioned, falling short in the Champions League, I think made it hard for people to want to stay. So I I think he, kind of like Pochettino, was just ready to move on. Uh, And he didn't get the move. Real Madrid didn't end up ever making a formal bid for him. Then we realized that, you know, last year of the contract, he can move on a free in January. Well, at least sign the the pre-contract. And now he's just still here. And instead of it being Real Madrid or Barcelona, now it's Inter Milan, who, while obviously having a fantastic history of their own, doesn't seem like a phenomenal step up from Tottenham. Although, I actually didn't see the Juventus match. But after yesterday, they were uh, still top of the table, I believe, in Serie A. Uh, but yeah, on the whole, just he was a fantastic player, won Tottenham far more points and matches than he lost us, even in this kind of rough final stretch. But uh, I think it's always good to remember the player that they were and not just look at the past few months. And, and I think it was a really fun time to, to watch Ericsson at Tottenham during the, the resurgence that we all thought was leading to some bigger, brighter future. Uh, Under Pochettino, obviously, that's all kind of crumbled away at the moment, and we'll see what Mourinho can do with it. But I think Ericsson will always be an instrumental part of what will be considered the Pochettino era, uh, which, again, was uh, a joyous time for most Spurs fans. 
All right, enough blathering from me. Uh, next up, we'll talk about Sergio Aguero. Both of you have referenced the Manchester City match. Obviously, De Bruyne was fantastic. Aguero, fantastic as well, with yet another hat-trick, which he has now recorded more of than any other player in Premier League history. Uh, there was a period of time where people thought maybe he'd be moved on. Gabriel Jesus was the future. But he continues to bang in the goals, as Pep Guardiola said in his post-match press conference today. He will score goals until the day he dies, which is a fantastic quote. <laughs> Do you think he's still the best striker in the Premier League? I mean, I think, first of all, just to kind of look at Aguero in isolation, I think kind of his, his longevity kind of can't really be un, understated. You know, he's sort of maintain that position as one of the best strikers in the Premier League over about a decade now, which is kind of, you know, there aren't that many players who have done that. You know, you look at your Shearers, you look at your your Henrys who have spent that amount of time at a top club in this league and have just kind of managed to rack up 20 goals a season over that period. Um, and even during that time, it's actually quite interesting that he's only got one golden boot. And in a weird way, I almost think that Aguero has been maybe even, you know, underappreciated to an extent or just just maybe viewed as a guy who scores a lot of goals in the team that scores a lot of goals and creates a lot of chances um i think you know but to, to have overtaken someone like Thierry Henry is just testament to how good he has been um and i think maybe with with Aguero he's someone that we won't actually realize how good he was or how good he is until maybe he moves on from City because he does feel like one of those players that when he does go, he'll leave that gap um, in terms of those goals. But um, but yeah, so I mean, uh, going back to the original question, I think if you if you would say, is he still the best striker in the Premier League today? I think he's certainly still the best goal-scoring striker in the Premier League. Mm. Um, when I think of kind of the best striker in the league, I kind of I look at I look at Roberto Firmino now just. Uh, just in terms of being the most rounded player, in terms of what he brings to Liverpool, you know he is that he is that focal point for them. He is that person who occupies that position in the middle of the pitch and allows Salah and Mane to do what they do around him. So his influence is kind of a lot more than just the goals he scores. He provides so many assists as well. Um, you look to Harry Kane, obviously he's injured now, um, hasn't quite hit the heights um, this season or last season that he did. Um, and obviously Jamie Vardy as well, who can't stop scoring for Leicester. But um, I'm going to sort of maintain that position on the fence here and say that is he the best striker in the Premier League? I'm not sure, but I think he's definitely still the best goal-scoring striker in the league. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, you've got to say Danny Ings on form, haven't you? I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, typically Wolves have got Southampton at the weekend, so... Uh, not looking forward to that one, having already scored against us this season. So special mention to to Danny Ings. But um, to answer your question, for me, yes, definitely and emphatically, yes, still the best striker. He's just uh, and, if and when I, I talk about Sam was talking about kind of all round play there, like Firmino, completely get that. But if you're talking about you know cold blooded striker, Aguero is just phenomenal, and his finishing is is ridiculous. Um, it was quite funny actually in this game. Uh, watching it against Villa today that in the second half what normally happens is the intensity goes down doesn't it you know the game was sewn up they were stroking the ball around but then he wasn't you know he was absolutely desperate to clock up more goals um, and you could see his delight getting the getting the hat trick just a you know when he plays like this and he gets the chances no one's no one's better at finishing there's no one I would rather have on the ball getting chances in the Premier League than, than Aguero so um 
so for me, yes, definitely. But um, as I say, special mention to uh, Ings and Vardy, who have been phenomenal this season, um, and even Rashford, who in a you know a Man United team that's just continually lambasted, and even him, you know, his consistency and his appetite is questioned, but he's climbing up the goal scoring charts and he's holding that team together. Really, if we're honest, so. Um, yeah, Rashford, Ings and Vardy, honourable mentions. But for me, yeah, Aguero, definitely, without question, the best. Yeah, he's just absurd. You mentioned that he passed uh, Thierry Henry. Uh, Thierry Henry had 175 goals in 258 matches. Aguero, 177 in 255. So actually pretty similar. Um, obviously, Henry uh, stopped at that point, though. <laughs> Aguero still playing. What is just absurd to me, though, is that Aguero is still... 83 goals shy of Shearer, which is just, that's nuts. I mean, at, at 20 goals a season, which is what we think of as Aguero, although I'm not sure if that's kept up as much of late. Um, but he still needs four more seasons? To, he could do it. <laughs> he could. It's not, he, like, it's not likely. Yeah. I mean, he's 31, isn't he? So, yep. so playing until 35, 35 without Man, dropping Man, off. Yeah, if Man City just keep rolling balls across the six-yard box for people <laughs> three centimetres out, you'd imagine he'd have a decent chance, wouldn't you? But, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd like someone to, to knock Shearer off. I've got to be honest, I think he's getting a bit smug about it. So uh, <laughs> it's got to be it's only Kane or Aguero who've got a possible chance. Yeah, I, I think it is also disappointing that Lukaku's time at United ended as acrimoniously as it did, and then he left hilariously to enter, who are just becoming a Premier League side themselves with Lukaku yeah. and Alexis. They're trying to get Giroud and Ashley Young and also Christian Eriksen. Uh, so really just a bit of a Premier League East, if you will. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Aguero and Kane are the only two contenders. Both Aguero and Kane on .69 goals per game over their career. Shearer, .59 so if you want him to yeah. be knocked off his post instead of all-time goal scorer, hit him with that goal ratio statistic. He's not going to care. Certainly, they probably do not. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just absurd. Just while we're praising Aguero for how incredible he is, it, it's just insane how far away he still is from potentially reaching that crown. Although, as we say, would have to be playing to 35 without much drop-off. All right, uh, with that, we will take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, and we are back. Sam, we'll start off with you. Yesterday's match certainly stole the headlines, both with the scoreline and with the Aubameyang red card, uh, which, very surprisingly, the manager agreed with and apologized for, which you don't get all the time. That, of course, from newly hired manager Mikel Arteta. Uh, just wanted to get your takes on that match. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a fairly solid point in the end. I think every every point we're picking up at the moment is kind of... It feels like a bit of a bonus given given the injury crisis we've got. Um, obviously, about seven or eight players out injured. Um, we've been playing without a natural right back or left back for over a month now, which for anyone who watches us regularly knows how integral our fullbacks are to how we play, especially on the counter-attack. So I think it's kind of, yesterday was just another kind of testament to Hodgson for, you know, the way he's the way he sets us up and just the fact that, you know, if we're, if we're not going to, if we're not going to, um, if we're not going to win these games and just don't get beat, has kind of been the mentality. I think. Um, in terms of yesterday's game, I think the first thirty-five minutes were a, a bit of a disaster to watch. We kind of treated Arsenal, who let's not forget are actually below Palace in the league at the moment, as if they were still that kind of one of those powerhouses in the top four, and we kind of let them stroll through, especially for that first goal. Um, but there was kind of. There was kind of a moment in that first half when um, basically someone, I can't remember, I think it was an Arsenal player who had got injured and Arsenal were essentially meant to give the ball back to Palace as, as is obviously the etiquette and they opted to keep it and that kind of woke up the crowd, woke up the players a little bit and from that point I think we kind of realised, you know, this isn't the imperious Arsenal side that they once were and yeah, I think we were wor- wor- uh, worthy of our uh, equaliser at the start of the second half. Um, Jordan Ayew with another goal, albeit through a very fortuitous deflection off of David Luiz. Um, I guess the disappointment was that maybe we didn't create quite as many chances as you'd, as you'd like once once they went down to 10 men. Um, but having said that, we also needed uh, Guaita to pull off another wonderful double save, which he seems to be doing kind of on a weekly basis at the moment. Yeah, Gaeta, a very good goalkeeper. And <laughs> we used to talk about yeah. how you needed a goalkeeper, and it seems you finally found one. You and I, obviously, earlier this season talked about how Palace left themselves a little short in the window multiple times, asking if you were going to mm-hmm. sign a striker. And hey, look, <laughs> you've gone and done it. You've you signed Cenk Tosin at right back. You're deeply in negotiations for Kyle Walker-Peters from Tottenham, uh, which I think would be a fantastic move from my side of that particular deal uh if you get both of those done one of them obviously already is would you be happy with the players that have been selected to fill those gaps and what expectations would you have for them yeah i mean you you kind of look at toss and um i mean lightheartedly kind of fits the criteria of a striker who can't score for us um but uh i think you know he he started he started pretty well when he first signed at everton he was scoring goals and then fell out of favor a little bit and he sort of he fits that mold of a player who arrived at Palace kind of with a point to prove. You know, we've had you look at you look at Jordan I, who was that that similar sort of player. He scored some goals this season. Um, players like Martin Kelly, even uh, Gary Cahill, Jake Coyote, kind of outcast by their by their previous clubs, but have actually gone on to do fairly well for us. So you kind of the hope for for Tosin is that he'll sort of follow that same path. And I think. The expectation for him is that if he can chip in with you know 
three or four goals before the end of the season and it will be seen as a success. Um, I'm sure some people will be quite tempted to directly compare him with uh, Bashwai, who we obviously signed on loan last season. He managed to score about five or six. So, I mean, with, with any striker that we sign, it's always kind of, there's always the caveat of that we don't create that many chances for our strikers because of, you know, the kind of erratic way that we play on the counter-attack. Lots of balls flying in from Zaha on on the left. It's the the way that we score goals is not, they're very unusual a lot of the time. It's not sort of your, your run-of-the-mill strong goal um, ball for a striker. It's always kind of bouncing off someone and they just end up turning it in. But uh so yeah, I mean it's an, it's another body, and we need bodies at the moment. Um, and if Carl Walker Peters is another one of those bodies, and I think we'd all be very pleased because Joel Ward obviously has been our only our only right back um, this season. He's been in for a while, which has meant Mars and Kelly has been filling in there, and he's he's done admirably. And I mean he's he always fills in well wherever he plays, but he is ultimately a centre back. So it does kind of restrict us going forwards and it's become fairly obvious in recent weeks that a lot of teams are kind of targeting him. Um, I think in the first 20, 25 minutes yesterday, David Luiz must have put four or five balls over his head for a Bamiyang to run onto. Um, so I think just being able to have someone at right back who is a natural right back will, will be a big boost for us in the second half of the season. Yeah, I'm honestly a little surprised that we're willing to let him go as had, having him leave would put us in the same position you were with just one actual mm. right back and then center backs that can fill if need be. Um, but we, we've at Tottenham, we haven't seen too much of him, but we've seen the best and the worst. I don't know if you know this. He, he had a three assist game in the Premier League last season. Um, yeah. Definitely likes to get forward in, in the attacking areas, which uh, I think is something that you will certainly enjoy. Sometimes his positional sense is a little question mark, but he's young. Um, but, you know, I'm just hoping there aren't inevitable Juan Basaka comparisons, and Walker Peters obviously does not hold up to yeah. that level defensively. Yeah, well, I mean, I think what he'll have is if he does come to Palace, he'll have in in Tompkins and and Cahill have two centre backs who will be able to guide him pretty well. I think um, with Juan Basaka last year, anyway, something that was very obvious a lot of the time that you'd have kind of Tompkins not necessarily coaching him through the game, but you know, reminding him where he needs to be positionally a lot of the time. Um, and just yeah just kind of help, helping him out which i guess for walker pieces will having two two guys like that two experienced center backs alongside them will, will probably hopefully aid his development a little bit yeah and then conversely coming to you now thomas you've let a striker go we've talked about how you already have a relatively small squad especially considering uh the fact that you're still in uh the europa league as well which is notoriously a energy draining competition uh, were you surprised that the Catrone deal, I guess, happened in the first place, especially now in hindsight that he's gone six months later? Uh, what do you think led to that? And are you a little surprised that the first movement you've had in this window is letting someone go rather than bringing someone in? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm surprised about that. Um, I mean, our squad is ridiculous. We've got nobody. <laughs> we've got uh, we've got a couple. We've got Jota out, which is hopefully a short-term injury, and Bolly's still probably a month or so away from coming back. But, I mean, we've got nobody. We've got the 11 bodies we put on the pitch. And Vinagre came on. And then we're basically down to youth players. It's ridiculous. You know, um, Nuno likes to work with a small squad, as we've talked about before. But there's a small squad and there's no squad. It's um, a bit of a joke, really. So, in that sense, it's absolutely balmy that they've let Catrone go. But, um, you know, I've got to believe letting him go means that there's an imminent arrival or a player they've got very good... Uh, understanding that that someone will be coming in, um, 
but in terms of him specifically, Catrone, uh, just didn't work out. Just didn't work out. I think we started the season playing two strikers and we got rid of two wingers in Costa and Cavalero. And I think Nuno thought I'll be better served having another striker to fill in if Jota or Jimenez get injured rather than having all these wide players. But then typically we had a bit of a sluggish start and he ended up going back to playing three up front with um, two players wide of Jimenez. So suddenly there's no sort of spot for Cotrone because if Jimenez was struggling, then Jota would invariably go through the middle and then someone else would come and play out wide. And, you know, it was, it was limited chances. Um, he did start a few games, didn't really, didn't really get going, couldn't really get the goals, played in the Europa teams. Um, sometimes the team was a bit weaker and didn't get the service to him, maybe. Um, he came off the bench and got a goal against West Ham, scored against Chelsea when the game was already gone. He did okay, but he was a penalty box poacher. And I mean, really what Wolves are looking for is is what Jimenez does, which is holding the ball up, bringing people into play, using it intelligently and then getting some goals, you know. So I don't think he ever looked like someone who was going to do what Jimenez did for us. And and the change of formation probably, you know, shut the door a little bit on him. So um, just one of those things. I think that they said he was homesick, wasn't picking up the language very well. I don't think there's any other Italian players around at Wall, so it's probably a, a bit of isolation. He's still quite a young lad, you know. So good luck to him at Fiorentina. Um, hopefully, Wolves get their money back. It's one of those ridiculously weird deals where he's on loan for a year and a half, and maybe they'll buy him at the end of it. So <laughs> I don't know what's happening there, but um, yeah, surprised to see him go. But more so because we just don't have any bodies, you know. Um, Sam's talking about the need for Palace to get bodies in, well, we desperately need bodies as well. So. Um, Hopefully, his exit will just be the first bit of business and everything else is uh, inbound. Yeah, in terms of incomings, are there any kind of rumours that are swirling that that you think there's a little credence to? Uh, very hard to say, really. I mean, the, the one, the big one today was Thomas Lamar, who's at, uh, you know, Atletico Madrid. And he's been linked with Wolves today. I mean, all the components for that deal are there in the sense that Wolves do business with players being at Monaco and Atletico Madrid. <laughs> it's generally the profile of the player. He's a Mendes client. Um, you know, Atletico Madrid are desperate to recoup some money. I think they're open to a loan with a view to buying later. So he might come and do second half of the season at Wolves if, if he doesn't get a better offer. I mean, there's, I think he's been linked with Arsenal and Tottenham and Chelsea. Um, but, you know, Wolves, I think Wolves could get that deal done um, just because of the, the connections they've got. I don't know. But that, that was one I read that I thought just because he's he's out of favour and we've done business with Atletico Madrid quite a lot, he, he might be. So that would be a coup if they got him, obviously. Um, and there was a chap, the uh, South Korean striker at Salzburg, but then they've sold all their other strikers. So I'm guessing the door might be shut on that one. Um, but, but other than that, it's... Uh, you know, there's a bit of paper talk about some players that I've never heard of from France, and yeah, so I don't know. It's it's a bit worrying because I'd like to have, I would hope there would be things that were more concrete and looked like they were moving towards a conclusion. Uh, but generally, Wolves do their business quietly. We're never generally written about in the in the papers and the gossip columns that much, um, and it tends to be that it just things come together very quickly. Um, but yeah, so we will see. 
Gotcha. And then, like Sam, you got a draw yesterday, yours against Newcastle. Uh, you only allowed one shot on target, but it ended up going in off the foot of Almiron, who's quickly turning into a golden boot and contender himself. Um, uh, was that a disappointing uh, point, considering how well you did defensively? And also, you had plenty of shots and shots on target yourself. Um, yeah, funny game, really. Um, they're not a team you want to give a goal to Newcastle because they like to get men behind the ball, sit back and defend. And, and that's exactly what we did. We, we gifted the ball away in our half. And to be fair to them, they punished us. It was a good goal. A few quick passes and a brilliant finish from Almiron, a player who I typically lambasted the last time I was on this podcast. And so he's come back to haunt me. And I uh, I was quick to tweet Jake about that as well and uh, take my medicine for that. But um but yeah, I mean, they for, for Newcastle's part, they started with Gale up front and Joe Linton and Almiron just wide of him and, and they looked a threat. But then they got the curse of the Newcastle injury, you know, <laughs> that seems to be striking them regularly. So two of their players went down and ended up going off. And once Gale went off and Joe Linton went up top, they lost mobility and they they retained the ball pretty well in midfield, but they never really threatened our goal. And it was just a case of then... Once we got the equaliser anyway, which was just from a corner, um, could Traore just blow through, just rip through their back, you know, their back 10 that they put behind the ball. And he did on two occasions and, the, and their goalie uh, saved, did one great save and, and they had one cleared off the line. And other than that, we just couldn't break them down, which again, you know, we didn't have any options to bring on from the bench. You know, want to really change the game, move them around a bit more. Um, and I think with Jotter out, who, who gives us a nice balance, you, you know, people aren't, it's not so lopsided and everything going through Traore. Um, we missed him. So uh, we need to get Jotter back for those kind of games. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we could have won. But I don't think, I think Newcastle, given what they put into the game, were, were decent enough value for the point. All right. Well, we will move on from there into Player Watch, where I wanted to talk about players that you think could have a breakout year in 2020. We'll start off with you, Sam. Um, I'm actually going to go with a couple here. Um, I'm sure a lot of Palace fans would actually like me to say Brandon Pierrick, who is a kid who made his debut against Norwich over the festive period when we were chasing goal. Uh, came on, showed some nice touches and actually played a role in, in Connor Wickham's equaliser and then got a start against Derby in the FA Cup um, a week later. Uh, kind of a tricky winger and obviously any tricky winger that comes out of Palace's academy is immediately likened to being the next Wilfred Zaha so um, there's obviously high hopes for him but I don't, I don't think we'll see him start too many games over the over the course of the rest of the season but hopefully he'll get a few more appearances off the bench um, and then the other one is the other one I'm going to say is Jairo Riedewald who um, has obviously been at the club for quite a while now I think he was he was actually one of Frank de Boer's signings from Ajax. He he started in that Europa League final against Manchester United when Mourinho was manager, and they won. I think it was two 0 that United won in the end. Um, but yeah, he's obviously he's come through Ajax's academy. Obviously, is a is a very very comfortable on the ball. Um, and for whatever reason, we just haven't seen him play. Um, I don't think he'd started a game for about two years until basically our injury crisis got so bad again that he had to get sort of parachuted in at left back and um, I think a lot of people were actually worried because that's not his natural position he's usually either either a centre back or centre midfielder but he has played in that kind of in that 3-5-2 on the left side of a back three and he's just kind of he's, he's grown in confidence with every single game um, yesterday he got our man of the match against Arsenal um, 
he there was one particular moment in the second half where he put in a brilliant challenge on I think it was Maitland Niles and then kind of pirouetted around Pepe before playing a lovely pass through to Zaha. So I think it's kind of it's one of those where he's he's massively grasped his opportunity because of the injury crisis that we've had. Um, and I think the hope now is that he's going to really be able to go and push on. Um, I think previously we'd we didn't think we had any cover for Patrick Van Aanholt at left back. Um, now we do, and a lot of people are even talking about him maybe even even retaining the position when Van Aanholt's fit. Um, but then who will so, score yeah, random goals to relegate people? Well, yeah, exactly. Maybe we could play him towards the end of the season when we're when we're uh, <laughs> when we're up against Villa or something <laughs> like that. But. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think it's kind of been one of the shining lights to come out of this sort of injury injury crisis that we've had. And I think the hope now is kind of that he can, now that he's sort of taken that opportunity, he can push on and actually make a bit of a career at the club when it looks like the, the kind of opposite was going to happen and he was, he was just going to be showing the exit door at some point. Yeah, well, that's definitely one to keep an eye on. Thomas, who at Wolves do you think could have a really big year this year? Um... I'll cheat and say two quickly. So just give a quick mention to Adama Traore, um, who I think he's, I suppose you could argue, had his breakthrough year last year. But I think he's sort of going, he's got a rapid upward trajectory. Um, he's suddenly been taken seriously as a footballer and not a freak show. Um, and, you know, his form is, is, has been incredible. So I think he's he's still going to, got a lot to do now between now and the end of the season. He could end up being one of the, you know the big, the big players, the big success stories of the season, particularly if we'll go on to do anything. Um, so yeah, him, him definitely. Other than that, really, because um, we're still going with a very established group, it's hard to really name anyone. But I'll say um, Pedro Neto, who's um, forced his way into the team uh, in recent weeks, done very well. Got on the score sheet against Watford. Got on the score sheet against Anfield, but was given offside by about one millimeter. So um, that VAR sort of that one, but. Um, not bitter at all about that, by the way. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, Neto, yeah, I mean, Neto's direct, pacey, wide man. Um, he's a bit erratic. He needs to add a bit of finesse to his game. But I think playing with with likes of Martinho and Neves and that 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 should come. Um, we paid big money to get him actually from from Lazio, um, but kind of unheard of really. So uh, I still think he, and he's quite a young lad. I think he's twenty. So it's definitely a breakthrough for him. He's already broken through, I think, because of him getting into the team and becoming a Premier League regular. Um, so, yeah, so uh, one name to look out for, Pedro Neto. Gotcha. All right, and we will wrap up with match previews. Uh, we'll start off with you, uh, Sam, as you are going to be facing City at the weekend. Now, based on everything we said earlier today, I assume you're not <laughs> overly confident heading into that one. No, I... Uh... I usually actually head up to the Etihad, um, but I've actually decided against it on this occasion, and I'm not sure it's a decision that I'll regret. Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of you know. Townsend World, you'll be fine, won't you? Oh yeah, no, but I think I think I decided (laughs) that it peaked at that point, and I wasn't going to see anything like that ever again. So I've kind of retired from the Etihad, I think. Um, But yeah, you know, they're in pretty ominous form at the moment. They look like they're getting back to their best. and it's obviously sort of in terms of the league now, it's sort of do or bust for them now. So, uh, and even before last season, I think our kind of aggregate score against them in Manchester since we got promoted in 2012, 2013, or whatever it was, was about 18 0. So, Last year aside, we don't have the best record up there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, not, not overly optimistic for this one. I think um, I'm not expecting us to get kind of, I'm not expecting us to get thrashed. I think 
that's not really happened to us this season. Hodgson's been, Hodgson obviously has a setup in a certain way that it's designed to limit the opposition to as few chances as possible. Obviously against City that could be slightly different and when they played us earlier in the season at Sellers Park they certainly gave us a bit of a lesson. Um, but yeah, not not expecting to to get too much out of the game to be perfectly honest. All right, and then Thomas, midweek action for you against the other team from Manchester, Manchester United. Uh, what do you think we'll see in that one? Uh, very hard to say. <clears throat> the biggest, most interesting point will be the, the team selections. Um, I think, if I'm honest, I think our chance to get through was at Molyneux in the first game because um, we ended that game with pretty much our best team on the pitch and we stretched them. Doherty had a goal chalked off because it hit his hand correctly um, and we, we had the chances to, to win that game. I think at Old Trafford, I suspect both teams are going to make some changes but I think Man United may, with them having home advantage, will probably just find a way to get through in that game. Um, so, yeah, I hope not because I, I we got to the semi-final of the FA Cup last year. It was a wonderful occasion. We should have won the semi-final. That was very painful. But um, I'm definitely up for another uh, Wembley trip. But that will be that for this year if we if we get put out. So, um so yeah, it's disappointing if we if we don't, but we'll we'll see. As I say, that the squad is so thin that Nuno's options for rotation are basically either play the best eleven or something very close to it, or or play the kids like he's in the League Cup. And I don't see him playing the kids at uh, you know in, at Old Trafford. So um, so hopefully we go with a strong team and give it a, a good go. But I, as I say, I suspect Man United will probably be the ones to progress. That's not very optimistic of you, but I guess you've set yourself up in an excellent position. Either you're right or your team wins. Uh, well, yeah. Let's put it this way. If we play our best 11 and they don't, if we play our best 11, I back us to get through, but I don't think we'll play our mm-hmm. best 11. And I think we, we, you know, that that's just the, you know, the way it is. I think Man United will rest a couple of players, but I think we'll also rest a couple of players and our team will be infinitely weaker um, yeah. for, for, those, for those changes. If only you had kept Catroni. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you think? Um, do you think if you play your best eleven, it will be a sign that Manchester United are going in places? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the ultimate show of respect. About time. That is, you know, that's Hall of Fame stuff from Solskjaer. It's very, very good. <laughs> I saw somebody saying that that uh, they expected Dean Smith to say it after their match today. It's like, oh man, th- this isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, all right, well, we will leave it on that hilarious note. Uh, if you'd like to tell people where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Sure, cheers, Kev. Um, I'm Sam Carp. I'm a contributor to the Eagles Beak, which is a Crystal Palace fan site. And you can find me on Twitter at Sam double underscore Carp. Yep, thanks for having me on again, guys. Uh, Thomas Boff from uh, wolvesblog.com. Not working on anything specific, but uh, if you're playing Wolves anytime soon, want to read a preview, a match report, get the uh, Wolves perspective, then uh, do log on and uh, leave a comment. All right, well, thanks to both of you so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure as always. Happy New Year, and we hope you keep listening.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.